So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and the, the title for not just today's sermon, but for this entire series through Philippians is going to be called Courageous Joy in Christ. So Courageous Joy in Christ. And uh, so Philippians chapter 1, I had it, and then the wind just blew it. <laughs> uh, so bear with me. And uh, I know we just asked you again to sit, but if you would please stand in order to honor the reading of the words of our God. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. We'll just read verses 1 and 2. God's Word says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's go ahead and let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you now, and God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your peace in our lives. We thank you for the love you've shown us through Christ. We thank you for the fact that because uh, you have been so gracious to us, that salvation is available to us, and peace with you is available to us. Lord God, I ask that you would please bless the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a joyful person? How do you know if you are a joyful person? Well, I think one place to start in thinking about, well, am I a joyful person? Does joy characterize my life? Is asking this question. Do you let conflicts, troubles, hardships, do you let those things, situations, circumstances in life, do you let those things crush your joy? Paul begins this letter here to the Philippians by saying, uh, by, with this thankful and joyous heart. Paul, as he is writing Philippians, he's writing in chains. He has, he has faced uh, beatings, shipwreck persecution he's in prison at this time of this writing and yet there he is rejoicing why well because of the joy that he has in Christ so I ask you do you have that joy so today as we dive into the book of Philippians what we're going to do is is introduce this book introduce sort of the themes some of the major themes of this book, talk about the importance of Philippians, talk about its historical context, and then really dive into the first two verses. How does that sound? We're going to all try and do that in just a couple minutes. So let's dive right in. One of the major themes that you see as you read this letter, the letter of Philippians, is joy. You see the word come up constantly in verse after verse after verse. And it's important to understand what joy is. Joy is not simply this fake happiness. It's not a sort of mask where you just walk around with a smile on your face all the time. That's not biblical joy. Joy is not fake happiness. We know because Paul described himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, he describes himself as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 
So what we're going to see is that joy and rejoicing comes up constantly throughout this letter. But it's not an empty joy. It's joy that comes from faith in Christ that, that leads to courageous living. So as I said earlier, one of the major themes for this entire book is courageous joy in Christ. Paul, in, in verse 4 of chapter 1, says he, he's writing about his prayer for them. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So that's the first place that Paul mentions joy in this book. And so in the opening greetings of Paul's letters, what he does is he usually indicates a lot of the topics, a lot of the themes that are, he's going to describe further in the book. And so he's indicating some of the topics that he's going to be discussing. And so here he mentions joy. Follow along with me as I'm going to look at every single reference in the book of Philippians where Paul mentions joy. So right there, chapter 1, verse 4, he prays with joy. Chapter 1, verse 18, he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. In chapter 1, verse 25, he says that he... He will remain living on earth for the Philippians' joy in the faith. He asked the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 2, he asked the Philippians to complete his joy. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he is glad and he rejoices with the Philippians. In chapter 2, verse 28, he sends Epaphroditus that the Philippians might rejoice. In chapter 2, verse 29, he tells the Philippians to receive Epaphroditus with joy. In chapter 3, verse 1, he tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 1, he tells the Philippians that they are his joy. In chapter 4, verse 4, he tells the Philippians twice to rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 10, he rejoiced in the Lord at the Philippians' concern for him. So over and over and over again, that word of joy and rejoicing comes up. Now, I see some of you trying to write them all down. If you want all those, email me and I've got them and I'll send them to you. So no doubt, right? After looking at at those verses, no doubt joy is a common theme of this letter. Courageous joy in Christ. Now, I say courageous because having joy in Christ allows one to lead a courageous life. If you look at chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes there and he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul hopes that he will be courageous both in his living and in his dying. He, he is able to boldly and courageously declare the gospel even while he sits in chains, even while he is in prison. So courageous joy. Again, it's not an empty, hollow joy, but it's joy that comes from being in Christ. So he's able to have courageous joy. Why? Because it's found in Christ, in Jesus. If you look with me at verse 1, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. What does it mean that they are in Christ? 
Well, it means that they have placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. When we do that, we are no longer in sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin. But now we are found in Christ. The, the old has gone. The new has taken root in our lives. And so through faith in Jesus Christ, through the gospel message of Christ crucified and Christ resurrected, they are now found to be in Christ. They're no longer enslaved in sin, but their identity is now found in Jesus. And friends, what an incredible statement that is, that we who are dead in our sins and trespasses against God are now made alive in Christ. So friend, I ask you, are you in Christ? If you are, then may God continue to increase your joy in him. So courageous joy in Christ. Friends, suffering will come, trials will come, hardships will come, but through faith in Jesus and knowing what you are saved from an eternity in hell, These sufferings and these trials and these hardships can be met with joy, courageous joy in Christ. As Paul writes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So that's introducing the theme, courageous joy in Christ. But what about the importance of Philippians for us today? Some of us will say, well, it's important because it's in the Bible. Absolutely, right? It certainly is. But let me ask you, is it easy to be a Christian in the world today? No, but if we follow Jesus, when we face difficulties, trials, oppositions, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas uh, give their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. Well, this letter calls us to live joyfully, courageous lives for Jesus courageous joy in Christ. That's why we exist, isn't it? And where do we go for that joy? Well, as Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 4 of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Where do we go for that courage? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Where do we find meaning in life? For me to live is Christ, as Paul writes there in Philippians. You know, as we think about the importance for Philippians today, for us today, you know, think about how many well-known verses are contained in this short little letter. Follow along with me. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul writes, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 uh, and 13, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Brothers, I do not consider it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 13, the often uh, quoted sports text, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours to his riches and glory in Christ. Now, all those verses are incredibly well-known verses, and they all come from this short little letter showing us how important this text is for us today. Just a brief glimpse of why this book, this letter, is so loved and important for believers today. Well, now let's think a little bit about the historical context. And so before we dive into verses 1 and 2, the historical context, Paul is writing likely in the late 50s or 60s, not 1950s and 1960s, I'm talking about 50s, like actually 5-0 and 6-0, no, nothing in front of it. Paul had planted the church in Philippi in the early 50s, and you can actually read about that, and we are going to read about it in Acts 16. Philippi, the church at Philippi, was the first church that Paul planted on European soil. And so actually, if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts 16 with me, we're going to read about Paul planting the church at Philippi there. So Acts chapter 16, and we'll begin reading in verse 6. We're going to read a big chunk of it. So Acts 16, verse 6. And so as you are turning there to Acts chapter 16, Philippi was an incredibly famous city in the Mediterranean world. It was uh, the famous city where Mark Antony and Octavian defeated the Roman Republic forces of Brutus and Cassius, the assassins of Julius Caesar in 42 BC. And so after their defeat there, there was a number of soldiers that ended up settling in that, in that city and established it as a Roman colony. It would end up being a very privileged city because it was governed by Roman law and its citizens were Roman citizens. This city of Philippi actually modeled itself after Rome. It was laid out in a similar fashion to Rome. And so it would become a leading city and an important stopping point on the Via Ignatia. It's a a military road linking Byzantium to the ports leading to Italy. So this is an incredibly strategic city for the launching of the gospel into the continent of Europe. So let's go ahead and let's read about how this church started. Acts 16 verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. So setting sail from Troas, we made, it, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace following, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia 
from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the presence of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to be kept to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and, fasc- and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praising and singing hymns to God, and, were, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, And he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. Eventually Paul and Silas are let go. And that's how the church in Philippi started. You see that? Incredible diversity, isn't it? You have the, the Gentile businesswoman, Lydia. You have a native Greek slave girl and a Roman jailer. And that's how God starts that church there. That incredible diversity. It's, it's a beauty of the church. The church united around the gospel, right? Not united around social, economic status. Not united around race. Not united around political preferences. The beauty of the church of Jesus Christ is that those who are a part of its community are from all backgrounds and walks of life. United around common faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Because of Jesus... We have more in common, brothers and sisters, we have more in common with someone who believes in Jesus and lives halfway around the world and doesn't speak the same language as us than we do with someone who lives right next door to us, looks like you, and has the same political views as you do. This past week, uh, I saw a video of believers from 50 different countries singing Amazing Grace in in a, a number of different languages. 
It was incredibly powerful to hear those words sung in all of those languages. It was a beautiful picture of how the gospel of Jesus Christ crosses language, geographical, social, economic, and racial boundaries and barriers. Think about it. The church, how the church started at Philippi was a group of diverse people, three totally different people, united by faith in Jesus, and God used them mightily. Isn't that incredible? I want to take a moment and I want to address some of the current events that we have been absolutely bombarded with over the last few weeks. And may the Lord have mercy. Uh, I, so many of you have seen that video a couple weeks ago uh, coming from my, Minneapolis of the man who was crying out in horror, I can't breathe. And maybe you've seen as many statements as I have, whether it's coming from Ben and Jerry's ice cream to the Miami Dolphins <laughs> about statement after statement after statement. I even read a statement this week on statements about the statements being stated. That's how many different statements we're being bombarded with constantly. Or maybe you've seen the polarization of uh, taking place now. You either are for the police or you're against the police. The Lord have mercy upon us. You're e you either hate justice or you love justice. You either think all cops are bad or you're pro-law enforcement. You know, may the Lord have mercy upon us. I've seen Christians post things this week on social media that absolutely breaks my heart, whether it's uh, such as a, a video uh, or, uh, from an African-American pastor who says his wife won't let him drive at night because she's concerned that he might get pulled over by the cops and she's concerned for his safety. Now, I doubt any of us here today have ever really experienced anything like that. Or professing believers sharing articles that are outright racist and unwholesome. May the Lord have mercy upon us. And so I want to read to you a statement that our own Southern Baptist Convention put out last week that I hope is helpful to you. Maybe it'll be helpful as you navigate this difficult time. And you might say, well, why another statement? Well, as believing and thinking Christians, we need to be biblically informed and seek to understand how sin can easily take root in our own lives and hearts. You might be sick of hearing of all of this, and to you I say, as Christians, as believers, we have an obligation to call out wickedness and call out injustice. One uh, pastor put it this way, Charlie Dates, he said, The claims of the gospel are so scandalous that we, who are sinners through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, are made righteous before God, and we have peace with God. We have been justified. That righteousness, that is righteousness, has been credited to us and our sin has been taken away. At the cross, God got justice so we could get righteousness. So that now in the church of Jesus Christ, we who are righteous ought to be found fighting for justice. It's incredibly saddening to think of how many believers are saying things that they don't even realize 
are an absolute abomination to the Lord God. So I'm going to read this statement from the Southern Baptist Convention, which goes, As a convention of churches committed to the equality and dignity of all people, Southern Baptists grieve the death of George Floyd, who was killed May 25th on 2020 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. While all must grieve, we understand that in the hearts of our fellow citizens of color, incidents like these connect to a long history of unequal justice in our country. Going back to the grievous Jim Crow and slavery eras, the images and information we have available to us in this case are horrific and remind us that there is much more work to be done to ensure that there is not even a hint of racial inequity in the distribution of justice in our country. We grieve to see examples of the misuse of force and call for these issues to be addressed with speed and justice. While we thank God for our law enforcement officers that bravely risk their lives for the sake of others and uphold justice with dignity and integrity, we also lament when some law enforcement officers misuse their authority and bring unnecessary harm on the people they are called to protect. We further grieve with our minority brothers and sisters in the wake of George Floyd's death pray for his family and friends, and greatly desire to see the misuse of force and any inequitable distributions of justice come to an end. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, the Bible speaks to matters of justice and human dignity. We are taught by Scripture that human beings are distinct among the rest of creation as those beings which bear the divine image from the beginning of life to the end. All human beings, both male and female, of all ethnicities, colors, and ages, are sacred beings that God values and loves. Throughout the law, the prophets, the gospels, and the entire canon of scripture, murder is condemned and God's people are called to protect the vulnerable. The Bible further condemns injustice and the misuse of authority and force. And in the example of Jesus Christ, God's people are called to love others, care for their needs, grieve with them in brokenness, and labor for the well-being of our neighbor. To follow Christ is to follow in these examples he put before us. Therefore, as a matter of Christian obedience and devotion, followers of Jesus Christ cannot remain silent when our brothers and sisters, friends, and or people we seek to win for Christ are mistreated, abused, or killed unnecessarily. Therefore, we pray for our local, state, and national leaders as they seek justice and call on them to act quickly and diligently to ensure that these situations are brought to an end. As a people, Southern Baptists stand ready to help towards that end. May God give us his favor help and strength in this effort. May God have mercy upon us. I want us to do something different right now. I want us to take a time in the middle of my sermon and I want us to pray. I want us to pray for two things. One, I want us to pray that God would have mercy upon us as, as, as a people that we would seek to find whatever means we can, biblical means, right? to help combat injustice and racism that we see so prevalent today. So I want us to pray for that, and let's take a moment to do that. And then second, I also want us to pray for those uh, in the law enforcement who are placing their lives on the line. And I know many of you have either relatives, uh, brothers, sisters, uh, relatives, family members who are serving on the front lines right now, and their lives are in danger. So I want us to pray for both of those. And, and you realize that they're not two contradictory things, right? We can pray that God would end racism, that God would use us to speak about injustice. And at the same time, we can pray for the protection of law enforcement officers. So let's go ahead and let's pray for both of those right now.
Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And Lord, may you truly have mercy upon us. That you would have mercy upon your church. That you would have mercy upon this country as well. Lord, that that we as believers, realizing that because of the fact that Jesus died for us, Lord, that we are justified in your eyes. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have because of Jesus. And, Father, may we seek to be just to those around us, seeing everyone as made in your image. Father, forgive us of those areas of our life where we are blind to the sin and the prejudices and even, Lord, the racism in some of our lives. Forgive us, Father. Have mercy upon us. Help us to be those who are for truth and justice and righteousness. Help us as a church to be a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ who has come to break down the dividing walls of hostility in the church. And Lord, at the same time, we do pray for those law enforcement officers who are putting their lives on the line. God, we pray that you would protect them, that you would be with the spouses who are concerned about their safety as well, that you would be the God of all comfort to them, and that they would know the peace that surpasses all understanding because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't understand all that's going on today, so help us to be those who listen And help us to be those who are faithful to your perfect and inerrant word that calls us to reconciliation with you and to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know how I can return to Philippians chapter 1 after that. But I want us to just look real briefly at verse 2. Real briefly at verse 2. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Where Paul is writing there. I can get it. And he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Everything we need is expressed in those two words. Grace from God and peace with God. Friends, that's what comes to us and that's what's offered to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what you get in Jesus. You get grace and peace. Grace for our sin and peace for our troubled hearts. Grace, the gift of salvation. Life when we only deserve death. Peace, the gift of relationship when we only deserve hell. That is what we get when we confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul is doing here. Is he is confessing that Jesus is Lord. And a statement like that in the first century could get you killed. 
But that's what Paul did. That's what the Philippians did. And would you do the same? So are you a joyful person? True and eternal joy is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is Lord, brothers and sisters, you are able to have courageous joy in Christ. Let's pray. Father, may we truly be a people who are full of courageous joy because of what Jesus has done for us. I pray that if there are any here today who do not know of your grace and your peace, that, Lord, you would open their eyes to their, net, their desperate need for your grace, for your gift of undeserved salvation, and that you would also open their eyes to see their need for peace, to have a right relationship with you. May we be those who are marked by a courageous joy in Jesus. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we sing Jesus, thank you.